Welcome back to American Scene, the show where we talk about movies with American in the title and what they have to say about American identity, culture, and values. My name is Ben Rosen. And I'm Alan Austin. Before we get started today, just a reminder that if you have anything you want to say about the show, any of our previous episodes, or anything that we cover today, please connect with us on Twitter at AmericanScene underscore, or send us an email at AmericanScenePod at gmail.com. Today, we're switching gears a little bit. We wanted to give ourselves the opportunity to look back at some of our previous discussions, the movies we've covered, and share more, talk more about things we maybe didn't have time for in the episode, or things we've thought about or reconsidered about the movies since recording. And we're going to look at our first three episodes, American Pie, American President, and American Psycho. Alan, what what else are you thinking about American Pie? That was our first. We were kind of just starting to sink our teeth into the American movies. Well, Ben, with American Pie, we both have seen it enough times that our views on it are not going to change too much. But what we can do is kind of dig a little deeper into the characters. And one thing I realized is that there's not too much at stake for these guys other than the nervousness of going off to college and the wanting to get laid at prom. So when you think about it like that, it's really hard to overanalyze this film. There's really not that much at stake. So you you watch it for what it is. You either enjoy it or you don't. And it's not going to be something that makes you, that, that keeps you up at night thinking about. You know what I mean? But you have some interesting points to make about it. One I find truly, truly hilarious is the fact, and I, this is your thought that I am about to say, is that a lot of what they do happens in the last month of school before they graduate, and it makes zero sense. So I've suspended disbelief enough to buy into it, but it is quite humorous and we should discuss it. I'm just like, with the Oz aspect specifically, what club would, first of all, let somebody join that late in the year like this guy's about to graduate plus he obviously has like scheduling conflicts like he's trying to get to he leaves the lacrosse game early to like go get to the singing competition but also that they would give trust him with a solo when this guy just like rolls in off the street like hey thought i'd check this out yeah i guess i'll well when you can scat like that when you can scat like oh baby yeah i mean you know it just came to him i mean it had me wondering who's more talented chris klein or kevin klein and i just can't pick now (laughs) yeah i would really like to see chris klein in the remake of sophie's choice that would be He should have looked at the schedules of lacrosse and the choir and known right off the bat, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> also, it's it's just interesting that like he's already got the reputation as Casanova and he decides like not only am I going to go after a girl who it's going to take so much effort and me completely like reinventing myself and like challenging myself to become a different person. That's great. But if his goal was just to like have sex and he already has the reputation as being Casanova, like you'd think he could just like pick anyone. At least he'd have enough of a shot. Yeah. And then, you know, there's the fact that like Jim is just a complete bumbling fool. Like there's never a moment where he's not like somehow experiencing some like public humiliation. And like, so where was he the previous like 3.9 years of high school that like nobody ever noticed him and suddenly he, like this was his big coming out party was (laughs) in in this webcam performance. Like nobody ever noticed the bumbling fool. I picture a prequel like junior year American Pie when they're all just like at a different school because no one knows who these people are apparently. (laughs) Yeah, that's that all it does. You just needed one line. All of these guys transferred in their senior year, (laughs) the second semester. Then the Finch thing is bought into like all of it. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, like, I definitely think that, like, Finch was not interesting enough or, like, cool enough to be part of, like, the hipster crowd. And that's why he's hanging out with these guys. Because there is that moment, like, he didn't show up to Stifler's party for some reason. And I kept thinking, like, was there, like, a scene cut or something? Like, where was he? Well, they explain that. He's there in the morning after Stifler's party. And he says something like, oh, like, I was trying to be fashionably late or something. He makes some sort of excuses to, like, why he wasn't there. And he's got his mochaccino. And he's kind of, like, got this, like, smarter than thou, like, above the high school fray. But you never see him hanging out with anybody else like that. So. Right. Part of me thinks like, oh, he's like just cool enough to be hanging out with these guys, with Jim and Kevin and them, but he's not cool enough to actually be in the like smarter than thou, cooler than thou, hipper than thou crowd. I tell you what, if he went to high school in 2020, he'd be one of many like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so the the Americanness of American Pie. I, I still think it holds up as a pretty American movie, as generic as it is in terms of you know the high school experience for those who are blessed to have it in such a way. Like it's pretty standard. Yes, very very broad drawing of guys just want to get laid in high school. And I think that's, like we said in the episode, it definitely holds true. I think in 2020, it's now a lot, you know, we do think about consent. We do think about something that's missing in American Pie, mostly is the female perspective and their interests. And I actually do think there is kind of a very like contemporary sort of feminist perspective with Tara Reid's point of view, where suddenly she decides like, screw it, I want to have sex. And I shouldn't think about what like, oh, it's got to be perfect and all these sort of like romantic ideas surrounding sex or think about like, I don't know, I guess like what Kevin's getting out of it, you know, and sort of be beholden to the the male POV. She's just like, I want to have sex. I think the movie does a really great job of not painting Tara Reid or most of the girls. Nadia, I I even say with Nadia, even though her scene is kind of, you know, it is what it is, but they do a good job in the movie of they make it so that it's their choice or it's not their choice. And if they want to, they will. There's no, I never got a sense of them trying to paint the girls as easy or, you know, disrespected. The writers did not disrespect them. I think the Nadia scene, you know, she was having fun with Jim. She didn't know she was on public access television. She was flirting with him. She was making a move. There's nothing wrong with that. And I just want to say, you said now we think about consent. I think we've always thought about consent. I just think in the realm of raunchy movies and stuff, it wouldn't fly today to put that in. It would be really off color and noticeable. What I mean is like the topic of consent is more, is overt. Yes. You feel that there is like a... I guess maybe just because of where we are in culture now, like the, you know, the, because you touched just now on slut shaming and, and something like that, where like we are talking about this more publicly and outside of the entertainment that we ingest. So that kind of, I don't know, informs how we view entertainment. But yeah, I also like that Tara Reid after having sex with Kevin was like, oh yeah, and we should also break up. Yeah. And but- like that is just, a, that's a, just a very realistic way to approach and a more mature way to approach like high school relationships. Like we're going to want to go off and do our own things and that's okay and ultimately like I, i'm glad my first time was with you but let's be friends and i think that carries over into american pie too where she's like buddy you can't disrespect me like this if you actually want to be my friend it's really good stuff again i like the movie do you, do you agree with what i said about the girls never being painted in a disrespectful light or do you think differently i guess so yeah i mean nobody aside from the fact that nadia is deported but that wasn't that wasn't a decision of the student body 
you know, so you never see any, any slut shaming or anything like that. Um, or, and no one, uh, the, yeah. The, and the moment, the one moment I think that is in the movie where it's kind of like, where it is disrespectful is Stifler. Obviously his entire character is about disrespecting women when he is kind of like teasing Oz about Heather. Yeah, about Heather, about Mina Suvari's character after she asks him to the dance, I think. And and then she looks back and sees that Stifler is like humping the air and kind of like, you know, slapping the, you know, the invisible butt of Heather uh, making fun of Oz and Oz just kind of like laughs it off. But that that leads to conflict. Right, exactly. Yes, yes. And she sticks up for herself and he has to apologize and become the bigger man. And yes, right, exactly. That, that's the mature way to handle stuff like that. Yeah, I think, I think it was smart to put all of that, all of that disrespect, all of that gross stuff onto a character who does not get to hook up with anybody at the end and in the first moment is in the bathroom throwing up. Um, so there there are consequences to his actions. And his mother becomes the object of his rival's affection, which goes to like, it's, it's some kind of like cosmic karma to him because it came back around where the guy he made fun of, the guy he teased, whatever, has significant feelings for his mom. And they're not just sex related. As you learn, Finch comes to admire her so much and respect her and that's got to drive him crazy. So there is conflict. I mean, there is consequences to his actions, ultimately. Yeah. The one, the the biggest thing that I thought of after thinking about the movie more and thinking about the pie scene specifically is that I'm pretty sure this entire movie sprouted from that scene, the idea of that scene. Like, I feel like somebody, somebody was like high or, or drunk or something and referred to third base as like warm apple pie, as feeling like warm apple pie. And then the writer takes that idea, oh, and wouldn't it be funny then if somebody like had sex with a pie and then you get the gym scene and then you get the okay well then what kind of character would have sex with a pie and then you come up with Jim this bumbling fool who like is so desperate and then from there you get the whole idea well why would he have sex with a pie because he's trying to have sex before he graduates high school because if you take out the pie scene the rest of the movie makes sense the pie scene is a non sequitur yeah so like the only reason it's in there is probably because that's where they came up with the entire idea yeah but they did keep it consistent thereafter where Jim would have a middle of the movie super embarrassing convoluted moment but you're right in the first movie on its own it's a scene that is so out of nowhere <laughs> literally out of nowhere and then it's never spoken of again <laughs> they're just gonna tell mom we ate it <laughs> yeah yeah so I guess just to wrap up the conversation about pie and then we'll move on to American president I said in our episode you know, I don't think this fits in the top high school movies of all time. But uh, folks on my Instagram thought that it did deserve a spot in the top high school movies of all time. And not even high school comedies. I said high school movies. And so I was kind of surprised about that. Hey, I'm, I'm right there with them. I know. You took the poll. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, think it, I think it's justifiably so one of the more memorable high school movies of all time. I guess I, I feel like maybe we... We feel that way because we were able to then see it when we were young teenagers, maybe. Like, I don't think that any high schooler now is probably going back to that film, especially because of what we were talking about, about how how we've come to talk about sex and coming of age and the female perspective and so much since then. Right. I'm sure high schoolers now see that the way we saw like Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, things that the uh, high school movies that I had on my list of like favorites, ones that really stand out to me. Obviously, Super Bad we mentioned. I really love Bring It On. Mean Girls is probably the number one. Clueless, 
phenomenal. Ferris Bueller, just a blast. I don't know how you're leaving out High School High with John Lovitz. <laughs> uh, I love 21 Jump Street remake. I think it's great. It's so, so rewatchable. Just an absolute, it was a big surprise to me. I went and saw that in theaters and I was like, they're remaking, it was an 80s. They're rebooting a teen drama. As a over-the-top comedy with Jonah Hill. And at that time, like, can Channing Tatum do comedy? And I don't think I stopped laughing in that entire film. And it made me a huge Channing Tatum fan from there on out. Sure. I'd like to see more of him. I don't know where he's been. All right, let's move on. Yeah. Well, to kick off the conversation about American President, I actually reached back out to our special guest, Haley Palmer, for anything else that she wanted to share. And she had a really good point. She said, we did discuss the casting and it could have been more diverse. But if we're talking about the typical American president, what does that look like to people figuratively and physically? Probably a white guy, an old white guy. But in my lifetime, The most American president, in my opinion, was Obama, son of an immigrant, raised by a single mom, worked his way up. So what does it mean to be American? Shouldn't our president reflect that? And I thought that was a really good point that, you know, it's not just, you know, however we feel about Obama being generally to the left uh, in our own political views, but his entire background. Yeah, that, you know, the south side of Chicago, right? And he really does embody the American dream in a way that other presidents in our lifetime don't. Right. You think of presidents as wealthy family sons, people who've had the silver spoon in their mouths and have went to Yale or went to Harvard, even though Obama did go to Harvard. But it's this kind of boys club mentality when you think of the president. And Obama was probably the first, I can't, because it's hard for me to like, I can't go back into history and be like a mindset of, wow, this guy got his president. We didn't expect him. I think JFK was probably the closest before Obama just because he was Catholic. You're sure. Yeah, in terms of like kind of like breaking some kind of barrier. Right. Yeah. And Obama, I mean, I'm over 30 now, but when I think of a president, he comes to mind first. So the mold had a shaken in 1995. This was the mold. Yeah. And we don't really get any idea about President Shepard's past about where he came from. Although I guess I think Martin Sheen says something like if, you know, if I wasn't behind you, you'd be like the most popular professor at, uh, was it, uh, University of Madison? I think his credit cards are in Wisconsin. So he's up there somewhere. That's right. <laughs> he couldn't find them. Um, yeah. But other than that, I, I think that's a really good point. But as for the film itself, you asked a question that really made me laugh. And it's, <laughs> would he try dating if COVID was happening? I think not. (laughs) I think he'd be more worried about solving the pandemic or at least doing his best. But he'd be the one in the best possible position to actually safely date someone in COVID because they'd get all the tests. They'd get like they would be the most secure person unless they were just like flying in, you know, from DuPont Circle like Annette Bening does at the end of the movie. (laughs) No, we have to we have to take your temperature first. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I saw a really funny meme of Goodfellas when Karen's got the gun to Ray Liotta's head in the bed, but it's a temperature checker. <laughs> Even if it wasn't COVID, what's what's presidential dating like uh, with all with the, with the apps? I know. I've heard stories of celebrities on regular apps like Bumble and Tinder, and the people don't swipe for them because they think it's like a catfish situation. And I know there are dating apps for rich people for like celebrities, rich people, stuff like that, where you have to be approved to get on. He'd probably be on that. And in DC, I'm sure there would be a lot of people. You know, I don't think it would be slim pickings. I think he'd have a very effective dating life in DC. But the thing is like, he can't 
date. He's got to imagine like he had a different date every other week. He would be ripped apart by the media. So dating is probably not going to be the president's weekend activity. It can't be. It would it would bring too much heat. Just like he dated one lady in this movie and it brought all the heat and it was, it was almost what made him lose an election. While he was doing a good job, like while he was like objectively like a good president, he came in with like 63% approval or whatever and just like going on a date with a good person monogamously tanked it. And then there would be a reality show. I dated the president and it would just be like... <laughs> <laughs> well, the original idea for this film was something that Robert Redford had come up with. And I think it was just as basic as what if the president dated? And he was the one who actually brought in Sorkin, like out of kind of obviously had his pick of the litter and mm. picked Sorkin. At some point, Robert Redford left the project and Michael Douglas came in. And it, obviously they're both huge, huge, huge movie stars. But one of the things that I didn't mention in our episode, because it just didn't fit, was just like, it's very strange seeing Michael Douglas in that role in that time after doing Fatal Attraction, Wall Street, Black Rain, Basic Instinct, Falling Down, Disclosure, like... He had an edge that Redford doesn't. Uh, yeah, not just like an edge, but like a sleaze to him coming off that run where he's like involved in like really kind of icky things, whether it's like financial you know, bad financial dealings, evil financial dealings, you know, murder and aggressive, like ridiculous violence and falling down um, or like workplace sexual harassment allegations and disclosure. It's like, well, I guess that none of that really precludes somebody from being president now anymore, does it? No, but the, to Douglas's testament, he is really charming in the American president. So good on him. He was able to turn it around for sure. Very, very charming. Yes. And uh, oh, Bob Rumson. I don't think he'd get the kind of groundswell that like a President Trump is after the election to try and overturn it. Yeah, he didn't. Um, he didn't really rally. That you never saw him at a rally. I was about to say you don't. He didn't really rally the troops, but you never see him at a rally. It's almost as if he had no strategy until the president started dating. It's like we didn't even. Yeah, he barely. We barely even thought that he was going to run. Like, because I think he does like a like a very brief interview or something like that. Like he mentions it to like a reporter or something, but. At this point, we're not, we're before the New Hampshire primary. Like, we know that he's a candidate, but like, we have no idea if he's ever going to get the nomination. We don't hear about any other potential candidates. And you know what? It's hard to compare him to a modern politician because there's such herd mentality on so many levels that it's hard to say Bob Rumson is to 1995 as who blank is to 2020 because it's hard to pinpoint anybody anymore. Like, everyone's so extreme. And it seems like Robert Rumson was a Republican, but not this, not the Republican we know today. The last time we would have had a situation like this would have been 2012 when you had a Republican primary to challenge the sitting Democratic president. So I don't know who else, who else was in the race other than Romney. I don't even remember back that far. And I don't think like Rumson is not a Romney type. Was it Fred Thompson or someone like that? Who, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> he was an actor who ran. <laughs> That I, I do not remember. That's fine. We can set that aside. I'll tell you what, for the rest of our lives, we will know who runs for 
both sides or who the candidates could be because we're all laser focused on politics now. I hope so. I hope we stay this focused for sure. Is there anything else about the movie itself and its Americanness that you wanted to touch on? Because I think we did a great job with Haley the first time around. I think so too. Definitely on, yeah, on the American identity, the idealism of its politics, the representation, we touched on representation, right? That if this was going to be an ideal version of how politics work or or how you know Sorkin would want them to work in you know in his ver- in his vision of America it is still very white so not not much else uh, i think to discuss i have one thing i said it during the show but i just want to i stand corrected with the this could happen in any country you prove me wrong america is very important to world politics and it is a big deal to other countries about America whereas other countries it may not mean as much to the world view and i do stand corrected with what i said the first time around yeah well i, I think you said it perfectly just just now and i think we've seen that come to pass with the election of joe biden that you know every you hear the response from the rest of the world being like america's back you know world leaders are feel that sense of relief and one thing that's interesting i have a friend in australia due to big brother fandom i follow some people on twitter and just like uk people seeing how they view the us is very interesting to hear their takes and you know a lot of them aren't necessarily the nuts and bolts of everything just the general cosmetic of it all and it's very interesting to see i do not keep up with many people outside the country so uh just the you know news organizations and and seeing how people cover events in the us is interesting but yeah i don't i don't know how uh the everyday person necessarily how like how their lives are affected i guess other than that like maybe Maybe they feel comfortable visiting. <laughs> All right, let's go on. That was the that was the sound of I mean, like a perfect imitation of the uh, shower scene from Psycho. Because we're talking about. <laughs> Should I do it again now that people know? Please, yeah, go for it. I thought that was the buzzer saying that we're out of time to talk about uh, president, and now we're moving on to Psycho. <laughs> Uh, American Psycho. Who had the best business card? It's got to be Paul Allen. Yeah, it it had to be the best because he's the only one who gets killed for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a little foreshadowing by saying bone white. Uh, the movie itself, we did. We actually had a really good discussion, I thought, about American Psycho. I actually think it's one of our finer hours so far. You mentioned the year it came out a year after Fight Club. Now, they are very comparable movies, I think. However, one is on a much grander scale, Fight Club. The nuance, though, in Psycho, I still think is stronger than that of Fight Club, where we are brought into the world of Patrick Bateman, maybe even more so than Tyler Durden in Fight Club. Yeah, well, you called him Tyler Durden, but he never gets a name. So that's Ed Norton's character doesn't, he's he's narrator. So the fact that we do know who the narrator is in American Psycho, just by the virtue of him having a name, I think you're right. We do, we do feel so much more a part of that world. Like we live in his apartment, you know, with him. Whereas 
as uh, Ed Norton's apartment gets blown up in the first 20 minutes. So I also think the movies don't necessarily have the same messaging, so it's fine. They're both very high quality movies. David Fincher is a master filmmaker, so nothing gets by him. Really strong stuff. But I do think, and this is debatable, but I will stand firm that Patrick Bateman, you get to know him way more than the narrator on so many levels. So the reason I, I compare the two is because it came out around the same time. another unreliable narrator in a movie that's like has a lot to say about toxic masculinity and corporate greed and obviously has a lot of violence. I do think, yeah, Fight Club kinds of has a lot more to say on a much bigger scale, much broader scale. I mean, the characters talk openly about, you know, oh, who do you want to fight, blah, blah, blah. They have these kind of like monologues about like we're the, the middle children of history. Brad Pitt gets these monologues, right, where you never hear that kind of grandiose, you know, generalities from from Patrick Bateman. It is the whole movie, American Psycho, is so much more like razor focused on what it's saying. And and Fight Club has, yeah, just like a lot, a lot more to say. Well, yeah, we're we're saying the same thing to each other. Fight Club's more about, you know, the world commercialism. And to a degree, American Psycho is too. But I think American Psycho is more about Patrick and the life he lives, why he feels he needs to live that life. It's a really, really interesting character study. And I, the more I think about it, the more I really appreciate it. Every little nuance within the performance is fantastic. And I know other people were considered for the role and had been, I don't know if they read for it, but it ultimately wound up with Bale. And I I do think that a phenomenal artist, this is still one of his best performances. And this is a Hall of Fame career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy just churns out such, I mean, unique, well-defined characters and i think this is one of the most well-defined not just because he is such an interesting character but that he is the embodiment of everything that the movie is trying to say as well and that's a lot to carry on your shoulders as as an actor to be not just a character but the vessel through which everything the movie is trying to say is is put into he's a genius there's no way around it the methods he goes through to achieve his performances he can really really elevate not that he's ever done a terrible script i've never seen the terminator movie but i know it's not considered a fine movie but it's got to be 10 times better than it would have been without him sure uh i think an early bale movie that i remember really 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 wanting to see because it sounded so dope and there were dragons Reign of Fire. Okay, that's with, is it Matthew McConaughey? I remember that coming out in theaters. I did not know who Christian Bale was at the time. Nope, neither did I. <laughs> also, he, that was early in his career. He was probably taking roles that he wouldn't take today. Of course. And that's, that came, I thought that was 2000, but it was 2002. So it's not long after American Psycho. So it was probably like, let me do something like, like American Psycho, which didn't, was a great performance and probably introduced him, I think, to, uh, as an adult actor, to, the industry like oh we can start putting films on the on this guy's shoulders and then reign of fire was just like an early misstep and i think bale was super super smart that he was able to pivot immediately right back to you know really really quality prestige stuff the only other actor that has made so many big career moves that he misstepped and then he found his way again was vincent chase (laughs) that's right because i'll do aquaman but then i'm gonna do medellin but then i'm gonna I forget what what is what <laughs> Gatsby. That's what was he came back with Gatsby. That's right. Yeah. It's directed by Scorsese. <laughs> of so. course. How many fake movies from Entourage have now become real movies? Uh, this All of them. just 
wild. All of them. <laughs> I wanted to say one other thing with, about American Psycho because after we put out our episode, I went back and rewatched the scene where Patrick Bateman invites the two. He's pretending to be Paul Allen, um, even though he's in uh, Patrick's apartment, and he invites the two sex workers over and watching him make that small talk to them is just some really really fun writing that we didn't talk about in the episode where he's like don't you want to know what i do and they're both like nah (laughs) right because again his self-worth is how he's seen to others if people don't appreciate or aren't impressed by like what he does then like what's the point of it and they like they just don't care and i love the line that's a very fine chardonnay you're not drinking. And I like, I feel like I have to start saying that now if I'm like at a party or something, somebody's holding a drink. I'm like, that's a very fine craft beer that you're not drinking. Yeah. You would sound really <laughs> creepy, but it'd be funny. It would work in context. I feel like I would, I have to have to like drop it at the right moment. You got to show them your business card first, then it'll click. Um, I, uh, have you watched the movie again in full since we discussed it? No, I haven't. Uh, I was going to ask you if your opinions changed about it being a dream. Not a dream, but a uh, hallucination, a, a a daydream. Yeah, yeah, or a delusion. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, are they just like personal inventions? Yeah, maybe. I think it's all while he's doodling in his book. He's playing it out in his head. Yeah. Also, delusions. Have you seen, there's a new movie on Netflix uh, with Robert Pattinson and the kid who played Spider-Man. The devil all the time. Ever since I saw that, Robert Pattinson screams, delusions. I've been saying it all the time. <laughs> now that's a thing that you can scream at a party. <laughs> <laughs> you see a guy talking to a girl delusions delusions <laughs> yeah delusions well this was fun a little more relaxed not as intense didn't have to go into a deep dive touched base a little jokey talked about Gotti. <laughs> I'm so glad we got so far off track with that. Oh, man. Because I think that's that's pretty early on in, in our friendship was the rewatch of Entourage. Well, the, the fans, the fan or fans who listen to this <laughs> should know. The tens and tens. Ben and I came together through a mutual friend and we were immediately pawned off on each other when he skipped town and... <laughs> Look at us now. Like, uh, I'll never forget sitting in that bar. I can't remember the name of the bar, but it was that dive bar with the jukebox. No bar. Magnolia and Coanga. And we started discussing Ed Norton. That was like the first movie discussion we had was about Ed Norton. And ever since then, we here we are now. So yeah, yeah. man, how time flies. 2014. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Six years. And you're going to be the rabbi at my wedding. So it all worked out. That's right. Rabbi Rosen. And we ended up talking about Ed Norton again uh, this episode. So how about that? It came full circle. This is the series finale. We're glad you joined (laughs) us to talk about five American movies. Including American Sleepover, which all of you have seen. Yes, yes. Well, that's uh, that's a wrap on uh, this mini episode of American Scene. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what we're doing, please give us a rating. Leave a positive review. You can give us your unfiltered opinion on Twitter at American Scene underscore. And if you'd like to follow either of your patriotic co-hosts, I'm Ben Rosen on Twitter at not that Ben Rosen. And I'm Alan Austin on Twitter at Alan, A-L-L-E-N underscore Austin underscore. And, you know, we do want to hear from you guys because we'd love to use these mini episodes as a chance to respond to you, the listener. So hit us up. We will be listening and we know you will be too. And we'll see you next time.